Church, let me invite you this morning to open up God's Word with me to the book of Exodus. We're in Exodus chapter 23 again this morning, and we are celebrating a Redeemer. We're celebrating a God who saves, a God who delivers, a God who sets free, uh, a God who, who loves us with an everlasting love, with an unfailing love, a God who calls us to be His children and invites us to know Him and invites us into a relationship with Him to love Him and to love others. We're in a series, Loving God and Loving Neighbors, and we're walking through what's known as the Book of the Covenant in the Book of Exodus, uh, some laws and stipulations, the parameters of the relationship that God has established with His rescued people, and all of this in the context of the Ten Commandments and surrounding text. And so as you find your place there in Exodus chapter 23, I know you just sat down, but I'm asking you to stand for just a moment uh, more, whether in body or in spirit, for the reading of God's holy word. Exodus chapter 23, I'll be reading verses 14 through 19 this morning. So let's hear from the Lord. The Lord says, three times a year you are to celebrate a festival to me. Celebrate the festival of unleavened bread. For seven days eat bread made without yeast as I commanded you. Do this at the appointed time in the month of Aviv. For in that month you came out of Egypt. No one is to appear before me empty handed. Celebrate the festival of harvest with the first fruits of your of the crops you sow in your field. Celebrate the festival of ingathering at the end of the year. When you gather in your crops from the field, three times a year, all the men are to appear before the sovereign Lord. Do not offer the blood of a sacrifice to me along with anything containing yeast. Fat of my festival offerings must not be kept until morning. Bring the best of the first fruits of your soil to the house of the Lord, your God. Do not cook a young goat in its mother's milk. Let's bow together. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your presence with us here and now through your Holy Spirit. Lord, we pray that you would guide us in rightly understanding, hearing, and responding to you. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Well, you may be seated. So three annual festivals that we're told about here, that we're introduced here, to here, at least on the surface, we've already come to read about one of these, the Festival of Unleavened Bread, which was connected with Passover. Uh, but here we also read about two others. We read about the Festival of Harvest and the Festival of Ingathering. And all three were occasions for the people of God to celebrate God. To celebrate God, to celebrate the God who saves, to to, to remember and celebrate who he is and what he had done for his people. Now for us gathered here this morning, the festivals have changed a bit. Our circumstance has changed a bit, but the principle has not. Church, God calls his people to commemorate and celebrate what he has done. God calls his people, he calls the saved, he calls the redeemed, he calls the church here and now, today, in 2020. He calls his people to commemorate and to celebrate what he has done. That was the purpose behind these annual festivals. 
strengthening the people's loyalty to Yahweh, strengthening the people's commitment, their, their loyalty to the Lord through regular times of worship. And to be honest, church, that's one of the central purposes of our regular worship gatherings. This is one of the reasons that we come together week after week, year after year, month after we come together as, as people of faith. We come together strengthening our loyalty to Christ through regular remembrance of what he has done. What has he done? What has the Lord done? What had he done for these ancient Israelites, these descendants of Abraham? And uh, what were they to celebrate? What, what are we to celebrate? God's people through all the ages, past, present, and future, are to celebrate that the Lord alone provides salvation. Church, the Lord alone provides salvation. And throughout the book of Exodus, God repeatedly warns the rescued Israelites against serving other gods. In fact, you you may remember from a number of weeks ago, back in our time in the Ten Commandments, as we walked through those commandments, that really all of those uh, commandments, or not the Ten Commandments, we certainly did that recently, I'm talking about the Ten Plagues a little bit before the Ten Commandments, but all of those Ten Plagues were clear demonstrations of Yahweh's superiority over the plethora of gods in ancient Egypt. You see, the Israelites have have just come from a land of of many gods, many false gods, and now they are going to to Canaan, also a land of many gods, but those gods are false gods. They do not deliver. They do not rescue. They do not save. Yahweh alone saves. He is the Lord who comes to rescue His people, to deliver them from bondage, to set them free. And so this first festival, the festival of unleavened bread, closely tied to Passover, was in the spring. It was at the beginning of the barley harvest. The barley was a hardy grain that grew through the winter, and the unleavened bread for the festival would have been made out of this barley. The seven-day feast where God's people came together for this festival served to remind the generations of Israelites of their exodus from Egypt, of how the Lord had brought them out of that land, of how quickly they had to prepare to go. For when the Lord says it's time to go, then it's time to go. It's time to go now. Participating in the festival of unleavened bread ensured that these descendants of Abraham heard year after year after year what God had done for them. So children of Abraham gathered in this place today, hear again what God has done. May we hear again what God has done as spiritual descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Sons and daughters that have been grafted into this family welcomed into a relationship with God through Jesus. We've gathered once again today to commemorate and to celebrate salvation, to celebrate God, to declare that Jesus saves, that, that our God is a God who redeems, that our God is a God who delivers. And so we sing and we pray, we read and we respond. So let's hear again what God has done for us today. The second of The festivals mentioned here, the festival of harvest was also called the Feast of Weeks because it came about seven weeks later. 
when it was time to harvest the wheat. It was to be a joyful celebration, once again, a time of of worshiping the Lord, worshiping God for providing daily bread, providing for His people's needs. So once again, His people would gather together, the Israelites would gather together, they were instructed to come together and to recognize that God had provided for their needs. And this feast reminded the Israelites that that Yahweh wasn't, wasn't just their Savior, He wasn't just their redeemer, their deliverer. He was that, but he was also, is also the giver and sustainer of life. The Lord alone sustains life. The Lord alone sustains life. God did not want his people to forget who he is. Didn't want his people to forget what he had done for them and what he continued to provide for them. The third festival took that a step further, the festival of ingathering, which took place several months later in the fall. It took place at the end of the harvest season when the olives and the grapes and other remaining crops in ancient Palestine were were gathered in. You you might think uh, American Thanksgiving. Maybe not the way that you or I celebrate it today, but certainly historically a time of coming together and giving thanks to God for His His abundant provision. Time at the end of the harvest season where God's people were called to come together. A week-long celebration. And the people camped out during this week. They camped out in booths or portable tabernacles as a way of reenacting their journey out of Egypt. Think about this. Like living historians or Civil War reenactors who recreate the appearance of certain battles in order to better understand history. The Israelites were called to reenact the time that they were in the wilderness where they lived in tents in order to commemorate the guiding hand of the God who saved them. That He didn't just deliver them out of slavery in Egypt, but He led them through the wilderness camped among them. He was with them. He guided them by day and by night to the promised land. God calls us to commemorate and celebrate what he has done. You might think of a Christmas pageant or a live nativity setting where folks gather and they visually see the story of Christmas depicted, but even more so for those that are participating in the event, acting out The story of Christ's birth is coming for us. The love of God in human flesh. Now notice here in this text that each of these feasts, for each of these feasts, God says, no one is to appear before me empty-handed. Verse 15, don't don't come before me empty-handed. Come before God. In other words, come to the place where he dwells among his people, come into his his presence. This is anticipating the, the, the building of the tabernacle. Ultimately, the building of the temple in Jerusalem. God says here, he says, don't come empty handed. Verse 16, celebrate the festival of harvest with the first fruits of your crops. Bring your first fruits. And then again, in verse 19, bring the best of the first fruits. You see, for each of these celebrations, God's people were called to participate in worship, remembering and celebrating 
Expressing gratitude and trust in the Lord by giving Him a gift, by giving Him an offering. The first and the best of the produce was brought as a gift to God. And we too, church, are called to give God the first fruits. We're called to give Him the first fruits, meaning for us, meaning for them and for us, not our leftovers, but the very best that we have to offer the Lord. See, for God still deserves our best. We're called to serve Him wholeheartedly, giving Him the best we have to offer, the best of our time and treasures and talents, the best of our minds and hearts, the best of our work and our worship. And as we think about giving to God, let me invite you to hear an update, a video update on how You've been giving faithfully to the Lord's church in the midst of COVID-19. Hey, church family. I just want to say thank you. Uh, I am here today to tell you thank you for your faithful and generous giving during a a quite uncertain year, uh, a time in in which um, many things are unknown, and yet God has shown himself faithful, and he has shown himself faithful in his church Uh, through you. Uh, You have given above and beyond in 2020, and I am happy to report to you that right now, year to date, uh, we are ahead of budget in our giving. Uh, Nearly $15,000 year to date, we're ahead of budget, quite unusual, very unusual for us at this point in the year. And so I want to say thank you. Thank you for trusting the Lord. Uh, Thank you for giving to his church. Uh, not only to our regular budget offering, but also to our building campaign, our Growing Together capital campaign that we started almost three years ago. Uh, As we built a new building, as we trusted the Lord in building a new building, a a new fellowship hall uh, with classroom space for adults as well as uh, a newly renovated elementary age children's space. And as we consider the Lord's hand in all of that and how he has used you, his church, uh, to go about that process, let me invite you to hear from one of our own, uh, from Kay Wise, the co-chair of our 2017 Growing Together Capital Campaign. Let's hear from Kay. Thank you, Chris. It's really hard to believe that here we are three years later from the capital campaign that we did for our new fellowship hall. Um, I just sometimes fathom where the years go and and where the time has gone. But I did want to give you an update as to where we stand with that. Um, We had a goal of or a commitment of $1.59 that was given or committed to. Um, And to date, if you look at where we are uh, today with only eight more weeks to go in that three-year period of time, we're sitting at almost $1.5 which is a good 94, 95% of our goal. Just phenomenal. Phenomenal coming from our church. Phenomenal coming from each and every one of you and your families and the commitment that you made. Uh, So I want to give a big um, clap to Meadowbrook Baptist Church. A good pat on the back. I wish we could go out and hug everyone, but we're not in that sense right now. But uh, And thank you. Thank you for all that you've done. We've got eight weeks left in the commitment period, and it would be wonderful if we could meet or surpass that goal. Jeff and I have, over the years, 
approach to giving um, very much as a couple. We prayed about it when we married. Um, Jeff was a tither. I gave to the church, but I won't say that I was a tither, um, you know, off the top of what I made. But we made that commitment when we married that we would tithe off of our off of our gross, and so we've done that over the years. Some years have been easier than others, um, but for the most part, we have uh, always tried to honor, you know, honor that commitment. Um, one of the things that I found out probably 20 years ago. Uh, from my financial advisor at the time was that uh, I was buying a lot of corporate stock in the company that I worked for, and um, I had a lot of capital gains on some of that stock. I bought low on some, high on others. It went through splits, all sorts of things. And so his recommendation was rather than um, taking the capital gains on, especially as our kids got toward college and we were having to start footing the bill for college, rather than taking capital gains on selling some of that stock to help with their education, why didn't we look at doing our donation to the church um, through a stock donation? So we did. That's what started it. And then we've continued to do that ever since. Uh, That way, you know, the church... I get the advantage from, a, or we got the advantage from a tax standpoint, but the church, you know, also, um, you know, received a donation from us via stock. Uh, and Meadowbrook Baptist, that stock is turned around and sold, and then that those dollars go into the general budget. Uh, but we found that to be a very effective way to give, and we have continued to do that for the past, like I said, 15 to 20 years. Uh, now that we're approaching the age of seven in the 70s and we're looking at our 401ks and some of the mandatory requirements where we're going to have to take distributions from that, we'll probably start taking a d- little different approach and look at those distributions and how we might be able to um, use those as a contribution uh, of our giving to um, Metabrook. But that's just kind of wanted to share with you my perspective of um, – of where I think we have been as a couple and as a family. Uh, I hope we've instilled that in our children to do the same in their church families now. And I know that um, I know that we've been blessed. We have been blessed from um, for many, many years. I mean, we've had our ups and downs and bumps in the road, but we have been blessed. And so thought that that might be um, something that would be good to share with all of you all. Well, thank you, Kay. Thank you for sharing with us. Thank you for sharing uh, how the Lord has worked in your life, uh, in the wise household, and how he has used you and Jeff and your family to serve the church and to trust the Lord. And uh, I'll be honest. I'll just be transparent with you uh, this morning. Uh, I would be lying if I said I I wasn't a little bit surprised um, I remember back in March, as you well do, when we stopped gathering in person. Uh, and I remember right away thinking, okay, we, we need to tighten some things up. We need to tighten up uh, expenditures uh, because we don't know what the future holds. We don't know what the rest of this year holds. Uh, we do know who holds the future, and we trust in him. Uh, but uh, even so, it's often difficult not to want to take matters into our own hands. But uh, after reflecting even this week, on God's faithfulness, on his character, 
on his mission that he has for his people, uh, I shouldn't be surprised. We shouldn't be surprised because of who he is. In fact, I was drawn back to the theme verse of uh, our capital campaign, and I want to share it with you once again. It comes from Ephesians chapter 3, verses 20 and 21, and it reads this way. Paul writes, he says, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Church, he is worthy of our praise. He is worthy of our devotion. uh, And he is good. He is a good, faithful, and generous God. Let's keep trusting him. Uh, in uncertain days. Let's keep trusting that he is faithful, uh, that he is with us, uh, that he is guiding us, that he is working uh, in us and around us and through us for the glory of his name. And let's give generously uh, for the glory of Christ's name here in Meadowbrook and to the ends of the earth. Let's give for Christ. And so church, let's do that. Let's trust him. Let's continue trusting him. Let's exalt the name of Jesus Christ here and to the ends of the earth as we continue to give faithfully and generously and sacrificially to support the mission of the church and the spread of the gospel, right? Declaring with our words and with our deeds that the Lord God Almighty provides salvation, that the Lord God Almighty sustains life, and as we see here in our text as well, that the Lord alone cleanses from sin, God is a God who cleanses from sin. Verse 18 of Exodus 23. Do not offer the blood of a sacrifice to me along with anything containing yeast, God says. Well, certainly we know that God was, he did call his people to offer sacrifices to him. He he called his people to give him sacrifices during each of these annual festivals. But here he says, don't offer the blood of a sacrifice with anything containing yeast. The blood of these sacrifices was shed in place of human sinners, shed in the place of sinners as a substitute, right? And these animal sacrifices, we know through our reading of God's word, prepared the way for people of faith to receive the ultimate sacrifice, the pure, unblemished and sinless blood of Jesus that covers our sin. He he satisfies the righteous requirement of God for us. But unlike us, he, he did not earn death, therefore he could take death in our place. Through the shed blood of the Lamb of God, we know from the scriptures that there is forgiveness. There's forgiveness for you and for me and for all who trust in the sinless one, the sinless Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, God's Son, our Savior. John says, and the blood of Jesus, God's Son, purifies us from all sin. Now, in Exodus and throughout the Bible, yeast is often used to portray the spread of evil, the spread of of sin. And so when the Israelites gathered to celebrate Passover, they, they would sweep the yeast out of their homes, symbolizing holiness or the removal of sin. See, by God's grace... By his mercy, by his kindness, by his intervention, he he saves and then he calls his saved people who've been forgiven and reconciled to live lives that reflect the grace they've already received. In other words, he calls his people past, present and future to turn from sin and toward the Savior. Turn away from sin and 
toward the Savior, to trust in Him. In essence, God says to His people here, He says, I've cleansed you. I've set you apart. I've delivered you. I've set you apart as a special people, a treasured possession, a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. I've set you apart as holy. Now, by my presence and power, get rid of sin and live for my glory. So what God says to His people in church, this is what it means to repent. To turn away from sin and to trust the Savior. Have you truly repented? Friend, have you repented? Have you turned away from a life of sin? Have you turned away from a life of self and trusted in the Savior, trusted in Jesus the Christ? You know, it's one thing for us to know this truth. It's one thing for us to, to know the gospel of grace that we speak of and sing of so often up here, but it's something else to know it in here, to believe it in our hearts. Paul writes to the Corinthians, he says, get rid of the old yeast. Get rid of it. Meaning give up your sin and embrace the Savior who has redeemed you. Have, have you turned toward the Savior? Friend, have you trusted the Passover lamb, the true Passover lamb? The Lord gives and sustains life. The Lord who redeems slaves and cleanses sinners. Are you joining believers, people of faith, today and throughout the generations in celebrating God because you know who He is and you know what He has indeed done for you, what He's done for you, what He's done for me in Jesus Christ. Friend, He alone is worthy of your life. He alone is worthy of your worship. The Lord alone deserves worship. He cleanses from sin and He deserves our worship. God and, and God alone deserves our worship. The call of this text was really a call for loyalty. A call for people of faith, people who've encountered the grace of God to commemorate and to celebrate what God has done by participating in these annual festivals. As one preacher has pointed out, since these feasts follow the harvest season, they would have taken place at the precise time on the annual calendar when the Canaanites would have gathered at their own shrines, would have offered their own worship and participated in their own fertility rituals. In fact, that strange command that we see at the end of this text, do not cook a young goat in its mother's milk, may have referred, many scholars believe that it referred to a pagan fertility ritual. Hence the prohibition here. God was saying to his people once again, I am the Lord. There is no one like me. There is no other. So gather with my people in my presence in order to remember your story and to worship me. So like our Sundays and Wednesdays, like communion and Christmas, These worship gatherings are meant for us to hear the gospel of grace again and again and again. To hear what God has done for us so that we might give our lives to Him for His glory. So friend, give yourself to God. Give yourself to Him. Give yourself to the one and only God. The one who is Father and Son and Holy Spirit. That's the clear call of this text. Of this story and of the whole story, give yourself fully to the one who gave his one and only son for you. For God so loved the world that he gave 
He gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. So friend, give yourself to God because he gave himself for you. And therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, knowing what he has done for you in his son, our savior, in view of God's mercy to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to him. For this is your true and proper worship. Would you bow with me? Father, I pray that we would give ourselves to you. Father, that we would respond to you with repentance and faith. And Father, I pray that if there are those that are listening now that do not know you, that have not given themselves to you, that have not turned away from sin and trusted in Jesus as Savior, Lord, that they would do so now. Lord, that your Spirit would stir them and call them to respond by acknowledging their sin before you and trusting in Jesus, acknowledging that Jesus is Lord, that he is Savior, that he gave his life on the cross as a substitute in our place. Father, that you would lead them to repent and believe and to follow after you. And Father, I pray for each of us, all of us, hearing your word today, Lord, that we too would respond with repentance and faith, Lord, that we would trust you, that we would live for you, that we would declare the riches of your grace and that we would run after Jesus. So Lord, guide us now as we sing about your faithfulness. Lord, we pray that you would lead us to be faithful. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.